Welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough. And with me today are two people, Lou Antosh and his daughter, Chrissy McCougan. What we're going to do is talk about living with a chronic illness, battling chronic illness, the, the successes, the triumphs, the problems, the defeats, the struggles, all those things, and look at it from a patient's perspective. I think one of the things we do as primary care physicians is we treat a lot of patients, we try to help them, and we work with them. We don't always get their perspective, and I think sometimes it's, it's important to hear this. So this is a particular condition we're going to talk about, but really it could be almost anything because you're talking about dealing with chronic illness and the frustrations. But Chrissy, first, tell me your story and and. I've I've known your father for quite some time, and he's been kind enough to do this show, and I have heard your story through him. But tell me a little bit for our audience about your condition and what you've been dealing with. Sure. When I was 15, I was diagnosed with uh, first uh, nephrotic syndrome. I woke up, I had swollen eyelids, and we went to the primary care doctor, and they said that basically I just had allergies. Gave me eye drops and basically call them in the morning. It kind of progressed and my whole body got swollen. We went to DuPont and we were, they basically diagnosed me with lymphedema and I was going to actually go in for a test for lymphedema, but then our primary care doctor actually called and said, you have protein in your urine, you need to see a nephrologist. So I went to uh, CHOP, saw Dr. Kaplan down at CHOP, and he said, saw me right away, said, you have nephrotic syndrome. After a biopsy, it was confirmed, nephrotic syndrome. I forget the, the name, the exact name of the disease, but eventually it turned into FSGS. So I've had FSGS for 15 years now, transplant at 27, so that was almost three years ago, and I've kind of been just dealing with it since. In going through that and in dealing with it, as you say, um, there's got to be a lot of struggles, a lot of emotional things, and to try and go through 15 years obviously would be very, very difficult because I'm sure you remember some and there's other things you live through, but does it make you tougher? Does it make you angry? Do you have those feelings back and forth? Where are you at, at this point when you look back on it? In my life right now, I, I've accepted it. Um, I didn't always accept it. When I was diagnosed, I was very angry. I became depressed. Depressed. I was withdrawn. It was a really bad struggle for me for a lot of years until I kind of had to take life into my own hands and realize that you know, I may be dealing with this for the rest of my life. I can't live my life so depressed. So I'm not sure what it was that turned it around, but I'm now accepted it, and I just kind of do what I have to do, and I live with it. I want to welcome to the program Lou Antosh, your father. Tell me your perspective, Lou. When, when the diagnosis was made, you know, father of a 15-year-old, you know, again, you probably weren't even thinking much about it. She goes to the doctor's office for what seemed like an allergic reaction, and all of a sudden things start to change. Yeah, it was a, really an emotional train wreck. Chrissy's our youngest of five, and really the first child to deal with major illness. The problem of not having the right diagnosis for, I think it was almost two months, was really maddening. You know, it's like almost a, an amusement ride, one of those rides where you walk in and the, suddenly you start spinning and the floor drops out from underneath you. You are dealing with uh, the diagnosis of an incurable disease, you're not understanding what, what the disease is. You're going from one doctor to another. And it's just, it's maddening. It's, it's all consuming. It's very disruptive to your life. And the problem is, with, for, for me, I mean, I had a doctor say to me, fathers like to fix things. I wanted to fix it because that's my job, and I wasn't able to. And so, you know, you research on the Internet, and you do as many things as you can. 
all-consuming for the whole family. Now, I know you've been very involved with an organization called NEFCURE, and we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Before we talk about that, though, has that been helpful, finding others who have similar conditions and working with them and trying to help them in their situations and learning more? Has that been a form, I guess, as you say, of trying to fix things to at least have some sense of control? Well, I mean, first of all, when you get the diagnosis, you're very alone. It's almost a rare disease, and so you don't know much about it. You don't know anybody who's ever heard of it before, and you need some kind of support. And there was no support in the early days. There was no net cure. Doctors told us that there wasn't enough research, and that, well, we said, how do you get research? And they said, well, you have to lobby Congress or form a group, and we did. Three other families and us got involved and, and formed it. There was no sense of community then, and you were kind of on your own. And so an organization like that, when you meet people and strengthen numbers, begin to develop relationships not only with other people, the patients, but with physicians and with drug companies and so forth. Now Nefcure Funds has committed $13 million in research. A lot of the scientists know us. Unfortunately, a lot of the clinicians don't. I mean, we had the misdiagnosis by a general practitioner who apologized. I never saw this before. It was, it was a uh, swollen eyelid symptom that they, she diagnosed as allergies. It's a very emotional and up-and-down life and you need a support system. You know, one of the things we do, obviously this program is for a physician audience, physicians in primary care, although any anybody can listen, of course, but when physicians listen to this, they hear the story. From a patient's perspective, what were the things you liked and didn't like in those days when you, as you say, were going from doctor to doctor? I'm going to say compassion, first and foremost. When you're dealt with this hand, it's very scary. You have no idea what's wrong with you. And the first instinct is, that am I dying? And just to have a, a doctor who's compassionate and he'll spend time with you and that's, you don't feel rushed, that was the most important thing to me. You know, Brian, the, the thing is when you first go to a doctor, they'll take your medical history and they'll give you a diagnosis of your condition. But they have no idea of your emotional history. And, it, you know, to have a misdiagnosis and to be struggling for months without knowing what's wrong brings a certain type of emotion and attitude to the doctor, and they don't know that story. So they treat us like anybody else. Well, we've been through hell. So you're looking for someone who really cares and listens. And, you know, it's funny, as you all know, and I'm sure you know as patients, because anybody who sees doctors, doctors are more and more rushed than they've ever been. I sometimes think, you know, as we use our computers and we do all these things, there's a lot of downside to that because maybe what the most important thing is spending that time with the patient. I agree. I agree. And we had a doctor like that at Children's Hospital that Chrissy had a great relationship with, and, and uh, he, he would call us at home, and he was call us before Thanksgiving to tell her she could eat some turkey or a stuffing the next day so she could have salt. It was, it's, it's a tremendous relief to know that they're on your side. Now, in dealing with a chronic disease, you mentioned it a little bit, Chrissy, especially for adolescents, because we deal with a lot of adolescents as patients. There's often a resistance. Um, you know, you get a, a diabetic adolescent, you know, they'll often say, I'm not taking my medicine. I'm, I'm just not doing it because it's a sense of control where they feel no control. Did you have days like that where you were like, I'm just not doing anything. I don't want to deal with this anymore? I did not in the very beginning. In the very beginning, I was I was scared to death. And I thought that if I had more than my daily allowance of sodium, that I was going to die. So I, I was really afraid in the beginning, but after a while, the routine got old and it just got so dull to me. And I, all I wanted to do was just give up and not care. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. You're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. My guests are Lou Antosh and Chrissy McCoog. We're talking about 
living with a chronic disease. And fortunately, what we are talking about is living with a chronic disease in the sense that you're doing quite well and you're getting your treatments and we have modern medicine to help. How do you feel about the medicine that's out there now? Have things improved in, I guess, the 15 years or so since you've been diagnosed? Personally, not for me. I mean, there are some new medicines out there that people are trying, but I'm not maybe not necessarily qualified for it. So I haven't really personally seen any advances in medicine for my particular disease. We should mention that Chrissy's disease recurred and then transplanted kidney within weeks of the transplant. So she's back where she was, and there's no cure for this, and there's no treatment for this. And so we're, we're dealing with uh, as many doctors as we can. And you know, people, in terms of relationships, doctors judge patients all the time medically, but patients judge doctors too. And it doesn't take long for a family, a patient and the family, to understand if this doctor is really going to work hard for you or not and has as your concern at heart. And sometimes they don't, to be honest with you. When you dealt with that, I know, I remember um, hearing when you, you, know, you got the kidney transplant, your father actually um, had a blog and he would share information with, with those who obviously were very interested in your health. And you got the transplant and then the disappointment of the rejection. That had to be tough for you too, because you probably thought when you got the transplant, oh my gosh, you knew it may not get better, but you had a deep hope it would. Yeah, I I wasn't really prepared for what happened. I you go into the transplant thinking that hopefully you'll be better and when you get the word that the disease recurred, it's like a heartbreak. I mean, you really don't you can't prepare yourself enough for that. And it really struck because the, the donor was Chrissy's oldest siblings, 20 years or senior, and they were a perfect match. We were so high and so expectant of success. We were shocked. And we didn't know right away. And honestly, I don't think they told us on purpose for for a while. But we, we kind of knew it from, from their attitude that it was back. Now that you you know are back in that situation and, and we're talking about it and you're, you're looking at you know, the sense of frustration and where they are, how are you dealing with that day to day? How do you deal with it? Because I know also people who are listening who deal with chronic diseases are probably listening to you as a role model and, and figuring out you know, what's my next step in their particular situation. It's hard because I really I don't have a plan of, of what's next. You know, I kind of just have to wake up and see how I feel that day. And sometimes I, I feel really bad and it's hard to even get out of bed. But you know, I, I have to push myself because if I if I don't push myself, I know I'll be in a deep depression, and that's the last thing that I need. Another thing that Chrissy does is she gets involved in NEFCURE organization, NEFCURE foundation. We have a walk every every October, and she deals with other people and talks to them on the phone. NEFCURE uh, is constantly looking for patients because it's difficult uh, to identify patients with these kinds of diseases, and so uh, they they are registering patients in a NEFCURE kidney network to identify them, patients enroll themselves. They've got, they funded the first long-term study of patients following them for 10 years, and they've got drug companies coming after them now finally uh, to, to work on drugs that can be tried out. So there's a lot going on. The, the big thing for our stand, from our standpoint is finding other patients. I know NEFCURE is always looking and hoping that doctors, particularly clinicians who haven't seen this before, will go on the web and look at NEFCURE dot org and and find out about us and let their patients know about NEFCURE. Well, that's important you say that because obviously we have a physician audience. So the best place to learn about it is NEFCURE, N-E-P-H-C-U-R-E dot org you would recommend? Absolutely. It's a tremendous site. And we have so many physicians on our side, many, many scientists, many researchers know about us and scramble really for the funds that we provide. But many clinicians are unaware and those who do treat kidney patients would do themselves 
uh, do the patients a favor, but also themselves, too, by learning more about it. Well, Lou or Chrissy, you can both answer this. Do you think there is a, I mean, obviously you've done a lot to increase awareness through your organization. Is there a, a better sense now than there was 15 years ago, or do you think it's still kind of hidden? I think there's a, a better sense now. In fact, at one of our events, I met a woman who actually lives literally around the block from me who was diagnosed with FSGS just a few months ago at the age of 50. So uh, I feel like there's more patients coming out of the woodwork and uh, it's all through NEFCARE, so it, that's really inspiring. A little bit Our last walk, a radiologist showed up who is part of a radiology practice. His son showed up with his son who had the disease and gave us a tremendous check uh, for, for research. And we had not known about him. He found out about us on the web. That was something I wanted to ask you as well. I mean, things have changed in the world of Internet technology and reaching out and social media. I actually just heard there was a very interesting case where they were actually able to make diagnoses based on the fact they got people through social media together to talk about a condition they had, which was maybe it's the first time we've used social media for that. Do you see that type of technology and these advances helping over the next few years, you know, taking a condition like yours and raising awareness? I think so. There's a lot of platforms out there for people to get together and talk. I know there's a website called Neff Space where people go with this disease and it's parents, it's patients, it's, it's children, and they, they're all able to talk about this disease and give tips or, you know, just a sense of camaraderie with the patients. Yeah, there's a lot of scientists that are doing the same thing, sharing the data. NEFCURE has a lot of programs for the, for the clinicians and the researchers. And we found out from NEFCR that there was a drug it was recently reported in the New England Journal that was used on five patients with recurrent FSGS, transplanted patients, and this drug, Abetacep, I believe it's called, has been very successful in like three or four of them, reducing the proteinuria substantially. First time we've heard anything like that, we're trying to figure out now if Chrissy can get on that drug. But that came about from the New England Journal. But news about that spread like wildfire throughout the community. One last question, and this is really for Chrissy, and that my question is, what ways can doctors do their job better? I mean, you've dealt with a lot, I'm sure, all different levels, specialists, primary care doctors. You mentioned empathy, and you mentioned that as a very important factor. Anything else they should do that, that would be better for patients either who have chronic diseases or just patients in general, from your perspective? Yeah, I feel like if doctors give their patients a personalized care, that's really important to the patient. To feel like your doctor actually cares and is on your team and, you know, you're not just another number, That was that's the most important thing to me. I've had plenty of doctors who kind of brushed me off and, you know, you feel like you kind of get lost in the system so it's important to feel like you have that, that you know, patient-doctor relationship where you feel like they are on your side. Chrissy McCoog and Lou Antosh, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to join us on Primary Care today. I really appreciate it. It was a special show, and I, I appreciate the time you spent. Well, thanks thank for you. having us. This is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any or part of this discussion, please visit reachmd.com slash primarycare today to download the podcast and learn more on this series. Thanks again for listening.